All right, turn your Bibles with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. We get in trouble if we sing, don't worry about a thing. I am going to preach today that every little thing is going to be all right. And it is, right? How many of you needed to hear that this morning? I mean, not the singing, but the words. It is tough sometimes, right? Life can be difficult. That is, that is true. And, and one thing I appreciate about the Bible is that it never holds those punches. The Bible is true, it's real, it's raw, it's rugged, and it's just on point. And it's, it's in your face to deal with the toughest and most difficult situations in life and to give you the truth of the matter that you can actually hold on to that will make a difference when things go sideways. Well, this morning we're going to be in Second Corinthians chapter 4, and I'm going to start reading at verse 1, and basically I will read to verse 18, but then we're going to look at a smaller portion of Scripture. I just want to read that uh, to give you context, and, and I, I'm, you know, buckle up because I want to go kind of quick. There's so much jam-packed in here. I sent uh, Dakota a picture last night, and I've got literally an entire page just about on half of verse 1. And so, like, I don't know how it's going to happen, but we're just going to hit the gas and hold on and see what God has for us uh, today. So stand to your feet uh, for the reading and the hearing of God's Word to honor Him and to honor His Word Starting in verse 1 of chapter 4 of 2 Corinthians. Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. But we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word. But by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants, for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let the light shine out of darkness, has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. Since we have the same spirit of faith according to what has been written, I believe, and so I spoke. We also believe, and so we also speak, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. For it is all for your sake, 
so that as grace extends more and more to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light and momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comprehension, uh, comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. You may be seated. May God bless the reading and the hearing of his word. So obviously, tons and tons of information there that I won't be able to go completely in depth on uh, just for time's sake. But I do want to kind of move as quickly as I can and still retain awareness and understanding throughout this. But what I want to try to highlight for you today through this text of Scripture is the fact that God is in complete control. He is sovereign over every situation, over every circumstance. He is faithful and just. He, he is doing a work, and everything that comes in our, uh, into our lives and, and happens to us is for the express purpose of growing the kingdom. So there's redemptive purposes. But ultimately, even beyond that, are purposes that involve and point to and find their, their finality in the glorification of God. So in other words, in simpler terms, everything that God is doing is for redemptive purposes to His glory. Okay? So a lot of people try to put those at odds. I'm not going to do that here today. I don't see any need to. I believe that the main purposes of God is redemptive purposes for his glory. So ultimately, it's the glory of God that's the end of what God is doing. But the what God is doing is redeeming for himself a people out of darkness, out of corruption, and out of sin. And so as kind of a synopsis or a 20,000 foot view of what I'm saying today is this. I know that things are hard sometimes. I know that you have difficult decisions to make. I know that people come against you. I know they lie to you. I know they hurt you. I know they backstab you. I know that you fail yourself. I know that. I do as well. But what I'm saying is, is that taking all of that into consideration, it will do you well and it will make things, uh, it, it will transform things for you to have the perspective that all of those things, the sins that you commit and the sins that are committed against you, serve the greater purpose of redeeming a broken people, sanctifying you all to the glory of God. So it has a purpose. We don't suffer in vain. We don't hurt in vain. We don't struggle in vain. It all has a purpose. Now, you've probably heard very similar messages, but they may have, in my opinion, stopped a little short. Because oftentimes when you hear a message like this, the message goes like this. I know you're in a struggle, sir. I know you're in a struggle, ma'am. But just hold on through the struggle because better times are on the way. So look out down through the corridors of time and hold on for the purposes that God has out there. And that's true. But I think it falls short. And I'll tell you why. What Paul is going to do here in his book to the Corinthians, his letter to the Corinthians, 
he is going to say that not only are we to look down through the corridors of time or to the realities of Scripture of what will happen in the future, but that we can embrace the struggle that we're in right now as being meaning, meaningful and purposeful and doing a work in our life. That it is through the hand of God. Now, it can, you can you know, argue whether it's the active hand of God bringing suffering or the passive hand of God bringing suffering. Either way, let's set that aside for a moment and say everything has to at least pass through the permissive hand of God in order to come upon you. And God is working all things together for the greater good, meaning that all of these situations in your life have a purpose. And so not only do we look past them and await a better time, but we look at them, embrace them for what they are actively and positively doing in our lives, even though they are negative situa circumstances. Does that make sense to you? Yeah. All right, let's unpack that idea a little bit. So the title today is Every Little Thing is Going to Be All Right. I don't think I can say it without singing it, so I'm just going to sing it every single time I say it. No, I'm just kidding. So the title today is Every Little Thing is Going to Be All Right with the subtitle, An Eternal Perspective on the Infinite, I mean on the Finite. An Eternal Perspective on the Finite. Okay, does everybody know what finite and eternal means? Let's be safe and say it, okay? The finite is, means temporal. It's not infinite. It's not forever. It's finite. It's temporal. It's only here for a short time, relatively speaking. The eternal is never-ending. Uh, eternal actually means no beginning or ending. It's just is, right? God is eternal. And so when we look at the situations in our life, today's message will be everything, every little thing is going to be all right with the subtitle of an eternal perspective for the infant or for the finite. So we're going to change our perspective here. We're going to get outside of ourselves and we're going to look at everything that's going on in our lives from an eternal perspective, okay, from God's angle, so to speak. All right, so let's look at the scripture. We're going to start in verse 7 and we're going to just move as quickly as we can. I really want to shoot uh, to get to 16 through 18 today because that's where the heart of the message is, I do believe, but I want to unpack uh, as we go along so we can set it up with the context. Okay, so... Verse 7 of chapter 4 of 2 Corinthians. He says this, Paul says, But we have this treasure in jars of clay. Okay, let's stop. <laughs> you see what I'm saying? No, let's, let's stop for real. It says, he says, We have this treasure in jars of clay. We've got to stop there because what do we got to figure out? We've got to figure out what this treasure is. We've got to figure out what jars of clay mean, because obviously you don't have a handle. Okay? What does he mean when he calls human beings jars of clay? Well, I think to get the, uh, this treasure, I think we need to look back to the immediate context of verses 5 and 6, 6 uh, specifically. He says in verse 6, he says, uh, let's, let's do go back up to 5. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord with ourselves as your servants. He says the truth that we're laying out here is Jesus Christ as Lord and we as servants. So you see the heavenly perspective, the eternal perspective is already starting to shift into view. It's like get it right here. 
We are not God. We are not Lord. We are servants of the Lord. His name is Jesus. He goes on. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, that's an Old Testament reference, has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So Paul is saying that God, who has been saying this for the longest time, is bringing things into a heavenly, eternal perspective, and he has illuminated, he has brought light into your heart. What light? What do you mean? And that light is the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, the knowledge of the glory of God that is reflected in the face of the Lord Jesus Christ. So this is this idea that God has opened up your eyes to let the light in. He has given you illumination so that you might have eyes to see, so that you might be aware of who Christ actually is. This is all over the Bible, this idea of those uh, who are of the earth, who are unbelievers, who have not been regenerated by the power of the Holy Spirit, who have not been born again, they do not have eyes to see. And the eyes are the windows to the soul. And if the eyes are dark, then the whole body is dark because the light can't come in. That's why Jesus says, he who has ears, let him hear. He who has eyes, let him see. What does God do in the moment of salvation? He opens the eyes of the blind and they, they see Christ and they long for him and they love him and they, they choose him and they are brought from this state to this state. We could go on and on about that. But this is the treasure. This is what he's speaking of. He says, the one who said, let light shine out of the darkness has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. What is the treasure? The treasure is the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the treasure. Does it not take your mind to another uh, verse and to another place where Paul is also writing? And he says in Colossians chapter 2, he says, speaking of Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. That Christ is all, that all the treasure is in the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the treasure. Now, when he says here in 2 Corinthians 4, he says, but we have, let's go back to the we have, we have this treasure. What's the treasure? The knowledge of the glory of God in the face of the Lord Jesus Christ. We have it. So we can just skip over those two little words, grammaring, and, and, and words matter so much. He says, but listen, guys, we have this treasure. We have it inside of us. And then he relates them to jars of clay. Now, I've always thought this was fascinating, and I've, I've heard tons of teaching on this over the years. And, and it's, it, it's pretty, a, a, a pretty simplistic idea. This word here for jar is just a, a vessel. It's used all over the place. It is a super generic term. It means container. And it, and it means something that would hold something else. It's just a container that would, that would have something inside of it, that would have the ability to hold something inside of it. But he goes on to give a clarifying word about this jar. He says that we, we have this treasure in jars of clay. So the clay there is describing what type of jar it is. And I've always thought this was fascinating that that word for clay just means dirt. It means of the earth, 
Other translations would call it an earthen vessel, jar of clay. It's a pot that's made from dirt. <laughs> Happy you. <laughs> it's a jar, a, a pot, a vessel that's made out of the clay from the earth. And another thing about these vessels, when we read other times that these same words are used of these types of vessels, they're very brittle. They're very frail. They, they uh, can be. They'll shatter if you drop them. They're not eternal, right? What are they? They're temporal. They're finite. That's the meaning of this word. And I believe that's a lot of what's being brought out here, especially when we get down into the later verses where he starts talking about our outer shell, is our, our, our outer self is wasting away, right? That it's just the, the things that are seen are transient. These words that he's using, he's, he's given this idea that, that the here and the now, the physical, what we can touch, what we can smell, what we can see is just temporary. It doesn't last any time. The older I get, the more aware I become of this, right? I, I used to be in my 20s and even in my early 30s, and, and I know I'm not old. Some of you are, you know, squinting at me already, right? But even, I just turned 40, and even now, I can tell the things that I could do when I was 20 and 22, 23, I just can't do anymore, at least and not hurt for days and weeks. I literally stomped my foot the other day and hurt my shoulder. I'm like, this is weird. I've never experienced anything like this. And that was like four weeks ago, and my shoulder still hurts me to this day. How do I stomp my foot and hurt my shoulder? This makes no sense. But I know now why, because I'm a jar of clay. And if you smack a jar of clay on the ground, it cracks, right? So this is what he's trying to tell us, is that you, you're, you're just a vessel. You're an earthly vessel that's, that comes from the earth. You remember? And we could go on and on and on. See, it's so hard. i got to move on. But you remember in Genesis when what did God do? He, he, it was from the clay. It was from the dirt. The Adam was formed from the dust. It was, uh, it was natural material that was temporary. But what about this jar? This jar would be one made of clay, so it would be dull. It would be just plain, very generic. I mean, this word used for jar is a very, very generic word just for any old container. And then this earthen vessel. But look, it has this treasure in it. It has this treasure. We have this treasure in jars of clay. Why? Why would he do that, right? So oftentimes we hear over and over and over and over that it's the weak, uh, that God chooses the weak to shame the strong, that God chooses the foolish to shame the wise. He is demonstrating his glory by choosing the, the most uh, the weakest, most dull, regular old run-of-the-mill things so that compared to that thing, he would shine his brightest. Yeah, it makes me think of when uh, Heather and I were going to pick out her ring, and uh, I've, I've shot for rings and earrings over the years. She likes jewelry. Big surprise. Uh, what would they do to the diamonds? Anybody know? What, what do they do to make the diamonds just as bright as they can be? Huh? They put it under the light, yes. That the light makes the diamond shine, but what do they what do they put the diamond on? Black velvet, black cloth. It's as black as you can possibly. That's the blackest black I've ever seen, right? Why do they do that? Why do they do that, huh? Yes, the contrast between the blackest of blacks and that diamond with the light shining on it, it makes it 
this is the idea that we just plain, just dull earthen vessels carry around. And, and I'm not making a stretch here. I'm not making a stretch about the light, you know, being magnified by the contrast. This is what he says. Remember what the treasure was. He said, for God who said, let light shine out of darkness has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. When we carry around Jesus Christ and the, and the work and the presence of Christ is carried within your mortal, transient, temporal, failed, broken, cracked vessel, and, and it, is, it is so glorious on the backdrop of where you came from and who you were, that is, that is more revealing of God's glory than anything you could possibly imagine. All of this is setting up this message of change your perspective. So we have this treasure in earthen jars. Why do we have it this way? It goes to what I was saying. To show the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. The purpose that he, the purpose that he put this treasure in you was to bring about your redemption. But ultimately, it was to show how powerful and merciful and gracious he is. How, how could God, who is perfect in every way, holy and righteous and good, dwell in a sinner like you and like me? How? And the fact that we have been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb magnifies His glory in our redemption. His steadfast love and mercy is, is amazing. Verse 8, he goes on, he says, now speaking of these earthen vessels, he says, we are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. Now, I just wrote this part out because the Lord had just pressed this on me. I want you to just listen for a second. I just wrote this part down, okay? A demonstration of the power of God is witnessed in the faithfulness of God to maintain the integrity of a fragile earthen pot that is being hammered from every direction with every destructive force imaginable. Think about what he just said. He said, we're just clay pots carrying around the ultimate glory of God, the diamond of diamonds. And these earth pots, we, we are beat down. We are perplexed, but we're not in despair. We are attacked on every side. He says afflicted, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed. He said this earthen pot that is so fragile and so weak is being, being hammered with the, with the greatest of afflictions, but God is holding it together. You see, it's, everything is coming at it. It is being hit on every single side. And God, the treasure within, don't forget, it's the treasure within that holds it together. It's, it's from the inside out that God is holding it together. Why? Because he, the glory of God, the light of the, of the world is inside that thing, holding it from being crushed, holding it from utter despair. 
The, the, the clay pot exists to carry the treasure, and the treasure exists to hold the pot to the glory of God. All to the glory of God. To go on in that same thought, more than that. So, it's being hammered from every way, from every direction, and every destructive force imaginable. But more than that, to renew the pot day by day. That's later on in the context, but here it's relevant. To, to renew the pot day by day, holding it together until the day it is finally crushed. Now, there will be a day when the earthen vessel, the, the, the part that is temporal, will be crushed. There will be that day. Paul himself, who's writing this, said, I have fought a good fight. I have, I have finished the race. And he was killed. Christ himself was killed upon the cross for the redemptive purposes of God and to glorify his Father in heaven. But this pot will be renewed day by day, and, and it, this treasure will be holding it together until the day it is finally crushed, only to reveal the transforming power of the eternal treasure that spills from every crack and drips from the shattered remains. At that moment, the crushed earthen vessel smiles in the face of death and destruction, knowing that the time of full renewal and restoration is near. They will soon be raised immortal inside and out. That's what verse 8 is telling us here. It's that there, there is no circumstance in which anything from this world can destroy us because God is holding us and keeping us. And if they ever do succeed in destroying the outer shell, they will only have revealed the internal glory. This is why Paul can say, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Can you imagine this madman who has an axe to his throat or a sword to his throat? And the madman said, go ahead, bro. You're only doing me a favor. What? When you spill my blood, the glory of Christ will run and flow. And I will praise his holy name in his presence. Verse 9 continues on. Verse 10, always carrying in the body the death so that the life of Jesus may also be manifest in our bodies. Always carrying the body of death, the body of uh, of death of Jesus in our bodies, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus. What? What? What does that? What does that mean? I think those two you have to take together. He says, always carrying the body of death, carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that in the life of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifest in our bodies. So both are manifest in our bodies, the death of Jesus and the life of Jesus. How can that be? Here comes another eternal perspective point. You see. We are transient temporal beings, so we tend to be, uh, you know, we, we tend to, to be narrowly focused. So when something bad comes our way and, and hits us, we tend to think, why is this happening to me? This shouldn't be happening to me. I'm a good person. I don't deserve this. And on and on and on the list goes. Or you could say, I deserve this. There's nothing good in this. Just beat me down. I deserve this. You could say either. 
both are wrong. What we do is that we see that the afflictions and the struggles and just, uh, the, the, just life, the decaying nature of our father Adam, Sin entered the world through Adam and everything started falling apart. Everything's decaying. Everything is melting around us. It's the reality of the situation and the world in which we live. But what we understand is that the redemptive work of Christ has brought meaning and purpose in our bodies as they are persecuted, as they break down, as they are beaten, as they decay. How? is that while we are persecuted and broken and just undone, we hope in Christ in light of, in spite of, even though we are being persecuted and that hope of the glory of God being manifested in those despairing moments is the life shining through the death. Does that make sense? You see, when, you're, when you don't have a heavenly perspective, all you can see is the darkness and the death. When you have a heavenly perspective, you can see the light and the life bursting forth from the death and from the darkness. The text goes on. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake. You see, he says it even plainer here. He says, please know. See, you can look at your trials and struggles and you can be like, oh, this is horrible. I can't wait until this is done. This is purposeless. What in the world? I've just got to hold on a little longer. I can't see any. Why is this happening to me? Why is this happening? Why is this happening? Or you can understand that that nothing happens that does not flow through or is permitted by the permissive hand of God. Or sometimes the active hand of God is bringing those trials through various means and various forms. It was the Holy Spirit that led Christ into the desert to be tempted. Now God, there's nothing in God that he could tempt you. But the Holy Spirit definitely led Jesus to where Satan could tempt him. Why? Why? It's because Christ had to come through that phase of tempting and pass that test in order to prove that he was the Messiah. You see that the temptation and the struggle and the suffering was the means by which glory was proven. You can't, you can't have if Christ is not tempted in the wilderness... And fulfilling scripture in that and overcoming by the power of the Holy Spirit where Israel had failed. You need to understand that. Jesus' time through the, the wilderness mirrors Israel's time through the wilderness. And every place they failed, the ways that they failed, he succeeded. They failed the test, he passed the test. They forfeited the promises through their disobedience. He is the basis of the promises through his obedience. Christ is true Israel. Christ is all. But never forget that even the Lord Jesus Christ himself, it was necessary for him to pass through the desert and be tempted in order to be vindicated as the son of the living God and be the Messiah. So you and I here, do you think that you can escape 
the suffering and the tribulation, the perplexing ideas and, 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 and the abandonment and all of these things that were necessary for Christ. Doesn't the scripture say that it is necessary for us to suffer with him that we might be glorified with him? Isn't it Paul that says, I count it all joy? Or James says, count it all joy when you encounter various trials. But Paul says is that I, I, I count it joy to be accounted worthy to suffer with Christ. What? Are you nuts, man? You're excited and, and you, you count it an honor to be suffering with Christ. Why? Because he's got an eternal heavenly perspective. He's not stuck here looking right here, but he's, he's with God. He's walking according to the Spirit. And he's looking at this situation with a clear understanding of the intended purpose and the desired result. To glorify God and enjoy Him forever. Well, moving on, we're making pretty good time. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifest in our mortal flesh. This goes to the idea that we were just talking about. We, Christ is handing us what? It was Jesus Christ that said, I am sending you out as sheep among wolves. Remember Romans chapter 8. We are like sheep led to the slaughter. Is that... <laughs> And I know that this is not taught much. And you're not going to hear this in health, wealth, and prosperity preaching. I know that. But oftentimes, your struggle is the means by which God demonstrates his faithfulness and glory. But that's good news. Goodness, that's good news. Because the one that says God's love is proven by my lack of trials and my my wallet full of money and my Mercedes and Lexus and, and my never, ever, ever getting sick? Well, the fact of the matter is, you're going to get sick. You're going to get old. You're going to get uglier. You're, that car's going to break down. Your, your bank account one day is going to be emptied. If not in this life, after you die and your children fight over it, right? All of that is going away. But this prosperity gospel said, this is how we know that God loves us and that we have faith, is that we have everything that we've ever desired in our flesh. When the Bible says that it's the exact opposite, that when you have those things taken away from you and you're steadfast and sure and you have a heavenly perspective and you say with Paul, I consider that the sufferings of this present age are not even worthy to be compared to the glory that is to be revealed in us. Then God is glorified in you because you say, ah, keep your money. And the funny thing, the irony is, the irony is, God don't want you to be broke. I'm, not, I'm also not a poverty gospel preacher. I'm not that either. I am in the reality that God chooses and God does, decides what you will have. And you are to be complacent and you are to be confident and you are to be happy with what you have. And the irony is, is I think this is what the Bible teaches. He who is faithful with a little is trusted with a lot. So here it is. If you really love money, 
God's like, nah, I think I'm going to keep you broke because I ain't sure what you'll do if I bless you with all that money. I might lose you, right? But if you really don't love money, then he's like, all right, give him a lot. I can trust him with it, right? Now, I, ain't even, I don't even know why I'm preaching this right now. This ain't even in my notes at all. I done got down on the top step. I done left the, the, the notes. But maybe somebody needs to hear this. Maybe your broke problem is a love problem. And you love your money too much and God's watching out for you. He ain't going to give you no more because he knows you can't handle it. Maybe you need to fall more in love with God so that he can be sure when he gives you more money, you won't be stingy with it, hoarding it up, and you'll bless everybody around you. That's free, no extra charge. As Hambone always says, I like to give credit there because that does not originate with me. Where was I at here? Okay. Always carrying in the body the death of Christ. Now, the death of the flesh is the life of Christ. What do I mean by that? Now, I'm not meaning on a physical level. I'm not saying, you know, well, if you kill somebody, then it automatically glorifies Christ. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is, is that when the jar of clay has the treasure inside, right? When the jar of clay has a treasure inside, the, the clay, it, it automatically starts to transform, right? It's being held together. It's, it's, it's got a purpose. It's heading in a specific direction. When the Holy Spirit comes to dwell inside of you, the flesh automatically dies. And the flesh automatically starts to decay and die over a period of time until you're glorified with your Father in heaven through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. That word is called sanctification. I'm not going to spend a ton of time right there, but this goes to what this verse is saying when it says, For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. Now, the purpose of God in the believer is to do the redemptive work, or to, to fulfill the redemptive work, of Christ, of God in you, so that he would receive glory and honor through the expansion of the kingdom and the proclamation of the gospel. In other words, everything that happens in your life post-salvation is to be geared toward and for the purposes of proclaiming the gospel uh, spreading the blood of the Lamb on to as many people as you possibly can, telling of your testimony. Does that sound familiar? Revelation 12, 11, where it says, We overcome the enemy by the power of the blood and the word of our testimony, that this is your purpose. But all of that work and all of that purpose is for the greater purpose of glorifying God. So you are to give yourself up, lock, stock, and barrel, to the purposes of God and everything that comes your way. Every trial, every struggle, every victory, every reward is to be looked at as a possible means to glorify God through the proclamation of the gospel and the expansion of the kingdom. Does that make sense? Now I want to show you that Christ lived the exact same way and through his living of this exact same way is the only way that you came into the gospel. So I, don't, I hope it comes across right, but it's this, it's this cyclical thing, it's called discipleship, but it's this cyclical thing that expands out like this. That's how it works. And so it began with death, okay? It began with death. And the way that this death works is, is that 
Jesus, who is the son of God, the seed of Abraham, okay, he had to die and go into the ground. But he said as much. He says in uh, John chapter 12, he said this, Jesus answered them, the hour has come for the son of man to be glorified. Truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it and so on. What Jesus is pointing to here is this death and resurrection model that's going to take place throughout the, the, the life of the church. And it's the way that the church expands and the kingdom expands. And so why am I telling you all of this? Well, one, it's in the text. But two, to show you that your persecutions, your struggles, your deaths, your decay, your attacks, this and that's what death is. The, the, the sting of death is... I mean, this thing of sin is what? It's death, it's decay, it's struggle. And, and one day when we're before God, all of that will go away. And I could just sit up here and say, listen, just hold on for a little while because one day every tear is going to be wiped away and there will all be peaches and cream and you will worship at the glory of God. We could say that and maybe that'd be enough. That's part of the scripture, praise God. But it's so much more because... What the scripture tells us is, is that this momentary affliction is for purposes, and those purposes are for the expansion of the kingdom. So, if that's the case, then it is necessary that you be afflicted. It is necessary that you experience struggle. It is necessary that you suffer. Why? For the expansion of the kingdom. It was like that in the life of Jesus Christ. He said, listen, I got to die. They're like, never, you know. They're all pulling out swords, and Peter's whacking people's ears off with swords, and Jesus is putting ears on. You know, he's like, Peter, stop it. You know, he put the guy's ear back on. Did y'all ever catch that? That was pretty cool, right? So it, Jesus is like fixing all of the nonsense and the madness because why? Because Peter had an earthly perspective. He had a finite perspective. Jesus is like, I'm going to be killed. And, and Peter's like, never. I will go with you to the ends of the earth. And Jesus is like, man, you're going to deny me three times before the rooster crows. He's like, no, I won't. He's like, yes, you will. He's like, no, I won't. He said, yes, you will, right? Peter had an earthly perspective. He's like, you can't die. We got to have victory here on this earth. And Jesus said, unless there is death on this earth, there can't be life afterwards. Jesus said, I got to go into the ground. If I don't go into the ground, I don't pop back up. <laughs> and if I don't pop back up, then there's no fruit hanging from the limbs, Right? That will come to fruition, fall down to the ground, go into the ground, and they pop back up. You are little Christ. That's what Christian means. You are little Christ. And you're, I'm sorry to tell you this, but like you make great fertilizer. <laughs> no, you really do, right? You make great fertilizer, and that's what you are. What is the seed of God? It's the word of the living God, and it's planted inside of you, and it grows. And one day when your old clay pot's old and frail and wasted away, it will go into the ground. And if you've lived a life to the glory of God with heavenly perspective, taking everything that came your way, glorifying God, you know what will happen? All those seeds you planted in will be fertilized by your rotting corpse. And there will be seedlings popping up all around. And the older and more faithful you are, the more seedlings you can look at. Now, you're not going to stay dead. Praise the Lord. You're going to get up out of that grave. Ain't no grave going to hold me down. Right? And so I could just say, 
hey, look to that day when you'll get out of the grave and be of cheer. <laughs> right? But this whole time down here, you're like, please, God, just take me out. You know, I can't take it anymore. But if you, are, if you have heavenly perspective, and Peter finally got heavenly perspective too, right? So when he was in the Gospels, He's like, no, and he's whacking people's ears off, right? After the gospel, or, or the death, burial, and resurrection, the ascension, the sending of the Holy Spirit, and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit in a new way that had never been done before, which changed his perspective, took the scales off his eyes. Now he sees. They come after him. They say, we're going to kill you. They say, who am I to obey, God or man? Kill me. Kill me. Essentially, what's he saying? He said, I make great fertilizer, baby. Kill me. The church is built on the back of the martyrs. Why? Because believers make great fertilizer. Maybe that should have been the <laughs> title of this sermon. An encouraging sermon today. Believers make great fertilizer. But if you get what I'm saying, is that it's not just some, ho some hope that you're holding out for out there. But it's a reality in the here and the now that when the trials come, you can say, boom. You say, hit me again to the glory of God. Give me one more. And if you take my life, then it will be for the expansion of the kingdom. I thought we were making good time. He goes on, he says, since we have the same spirit of faith according to what has been written, this is really good. We still are making good time, though. I still got like 45 minutes. <laughs> Some of y'all thought that was funny. Some of y'all looked up and you're like, all the new people's like, hey, get your purse, Margaret. We got to go. <laughs> Lunch is awaiting. All right, here we go. <laughs> 13. <laughs> If you're new, I'm sorry. It is like this all the time, I can't say. All right, 13. Since we have the same spirit of faith according to what has been written. Now, this could be broke down, broke down, broke down, broke down. But to make it a little quicker, he says, since we have the same spirit of faith according to what has been written, he said, this is not new. This is not new, right? Now, you could look at this, and if you don't go back and read. So this, this quote right here where it says, I believed and so I spoke. You might think that that's like believing the gospel and so proclaiming the gospel. That's not what it means. When I first read it, that's what I thought that it meant. And then I went back and looked up the Psalm 16, and I actually <clears throat> marked it in my Bible because I want to hear. Because it is exactly in line with what we're talking. W what he's saying here when he says, uh, I believe and so I spoke. What he's saying is, is that I believed in the hard times when I was saying times is hard. I still believed. I was holding on to the eternal perspective and the reality of who God is even in the midst of my affliction. And in the midst of my affliction, God used that to lift me up out of the mire and out of the clay because I was holding on to the reality that all of this is for a purpose. When everybody around me was telling me, God has abandoned you. God hates you. This, is, this struggle is because God hates you. Does that sound familiar? 
You see, that's the wicked, uh, dark side of the prosperity gospel. If you're going to tell people that God loves you when you have money, then what you necessarily have to say is that God doesn't love you when you don't have money. Never mind the fact that we worship a Savior who didn't have a place to lay his head or money to pay his taxes. He had to catch a fish and get a coin out of the mouth of the fish to pay his taxes. Did God love him? Come on. Psalm 116. Uh, I was going to read the whole thing, but for lack of time, I'm going to start in verse 5. Listen to what he says. Gracious is the Lord and righteous. Our God is merciful. The Lord uh, preserves the simple. When I was brought low, he saved me. Return, O my soul, to your rest, for the Lord has dealt bountifully with you. It's this testing period. It's this trial. It's this struggle. But he says, O soul, you don't get your mind twisted don't get your eyes off of that. You remember in the moment of affliction that God is faithful, that God is true, that his mercies abound. And don't you let this convince you otherwise. He says, for you have delivered my soul from death, my eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling. I will walk before the Lord in the land of the living. I believed even when I spoke. I believed. This is the quote. This is Psalm 116.10. I believed even when I spoke. Spoke what? There's a colon there for a reason. The, the psalmist says, I believed even when I spoke this. I am greatly afflicted. You see what he's saying there? Do you not care if you miss it? He says, I believed when I said this back then. I am afflicted. When I said I was afflicted back then, and I really was, I still maintained my belief, and I understood who God was. And I knew it was for a purpose, and I knew it was for a reason. Listen to what it says. I believed even when I spoke, I am greatly afflicted. I said in my alarm, all mankind are liars. Did you get the picture? Is that coming across clear? He's in this situation. He's in this affliction. He says, I am in affliction. So I'm not telling you to deny it. You're like, oh, this don't hurt. This don't hurt. This don't hurt. And you know it hurts. Don't stop lying, right? I'm not telling you to deny the fact that suffering hurts or that trials are hard or that it's, life is difficult. All I'm telling you is that when you say life is difficult, that you believe and have an eternal perspective that the difficulties of this life are for a purpose and that purpose is the redemption and the sanctification of my body that I might rightly glorify God in heaven who is worthy. That's what it's for. And the psalmist is saying, I believed when I said I was hurting. I believed in God when I, when I was in my affliction. When I said I'm afflicted, I believed in God. And he acknowledges that he was alarmed. He said, I said in my alarm. I was alarmed at this stage. I didn't know what was going on. It was hurting. It was painful. It was affliction. I said it out loud. I told everybody, this stinks. But even in that moment, I believed that God had a plan. I believe that God had a purpose. And listen to what he says. All, he said, I said in my alarm, all mankind are liars. You see it? 
I wish I could go on and keep reading because it just gets better. But this is what the psalmist says. He says, yeah, I hit affliction. I said it out loud. I knew it was tough, but I still held my belief. And that belief led me to the place to look at everybody who was attacking me and coming against me and telling me that God didn't love me and God was not going to be faithful and that I was not going to make it through this, that all of you are liars. I believe in my God even though I'm in the affliction. Amen. Broke a sweat on that one. We almost done. We almost done. Let's keep going. He says in uh, uh, so uh, so verse thirteen. <laughs> so we have the same spirit of faith according to what has been written. I believed and so I spoke. He says. Now that's what the psalmist says, and what the psalmist says, I'm also saying right now. That's what this is Paul speaking. He quotes the Old Testament. He said, "We also believe and we also speak." Why, Paul? Why are you still doing this? So one thing just to get out of here real quick, Nugget, is that this is the way it's been. There's nothing new under the sun. It's not like God was doing old covenant stuff and all of a sudden, boom, new covenant stuff. No, all of this was feeding toward this. So there's continuity between the Old Testament, Old Covenant, and New Covenant. There's continuity. Now there is discontinuity because the way that he accomplishes the things is a different way than he was showing and foreshadowing the things. But there's continuity as well, meaning that it's not a brand new plan. This is the redemptive fulfillment of what God had been doing the whole time. He said, we're also saying, we also believe and we also speak, knowing with this knowledge. Remember what the treasure was. It's the knowledge of the glory of God, right? It's the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of the Lord Jesus Christ. Knowing this, he says, we also believe and we also speak in the same way. Remember what the speaking was. The speaking was that he was saying, man, it's going really bad for me right now. But I still believe in God, and I know that all of y'all are liars are telling me that God's not going to be faithful. That God not only is going to be waiting on the other side, but he's in the midst of the fire with me right now, and he's making it so I don't even smell like smoke. Remember that story? Shut the mouths of the line. He causes the boys not to be burnt up. They don't even smell like smoke. The old boy looks in, he's like, didn't you throw three in there? I see four, and one of them looks like the Son of Man. See, Jesus was there. He's not saying, look, you go through this, good luck, bro. No, Jesus Christ is the one who has went through the eternal fire that you might escape it and not even be smelling like it on the other side. That's the eternal perspective. So, brother, sister, beloved, if you're here today and you're beat down, struggled, broken, persecuted, perplexed, and all these other things, just know that not only will it be okay, I promise, because God is faithful, but even in those things right there, God has a purpose, and you can embrace them, hold on to them, and wield them like a sword to slay everybody who comes against you, because when the outsiders look at your situation and they say, see there, God don't love you. You say, see here, God does love me and he's making me stronger through this and you'll never understand. God is pruning you, making you, driving you, pushing you. So he said, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us up with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence for it is all for your sake so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. Now, uh, you know, I, I can't go into a ton of that, but, but it's this whole idea that, remember, I said, he says here, he sa so 
when I hear people making light of the, of the redemptive purposes and trying to, and this is a thing, if you don't know it, that especially theologians and sovereign grace, reformed theologians who are like, glory of God, glory of God, glory of God, you know, and, I, and I'm all about the glory of God. That's perfect. That's perfect. Praise the Lord. What they try to do is they try to pit the redemptive work of God um, in contrast or pit it against the work of God to glorify himself. And I'm like, I don't think that's necessary. So, so in, in other words, uh, so what is God's main purpose? Redeeming man or glorifying himself? And I just say, yes. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Because God is glorifying himself in the redemption of man. Now, he's glorifying himself in many ways, but as it pertains to, and, there, and I've got a bunch of reasons why I would put the redemption of man in this category of like the way, I think, I hesitate, one of the primary ways that God glorifies himself on the earth is the redemption of man. We could go on and on and on to that. But I digress, and I'll just tell you Paul's words. He says, 15, for uh, it is all for your sake. Well, what do you mean, Paul? We do this for God. <laughs> Paul, what are you talking about? It's for all for their sake. He's writing to human beings, right? It's all for your sake that we do these things. What, Paul? You need a theological lesson on the glorification of God. Don't you know that man exists to glorify God and enjoy him forever? Hold up. Wait a minute. Paul says it is all for your sake. But he doesn't end there. But wait, there's more. So that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. You see what I'm saying? Did I lose y'all? Everybody just checked out for a minute. What time is it? Lunch time, lunch 30. Does that make sense? Maybe I'm not coming across too well. Bottom line is this. Paul says all of this dying and resurrecting, seeds going into the ground and plants bursting forth with fruit bearing on them, all of this suffering, all of this, it's all for you. Paul's already said, <clears throat> I got all this in my notes, but I don't even know where I am now. Paul says, uh, here we go. I got it right here. Hold on one second. No, I don't. Never mind. <laughs> anyway, Paul has already said in another book, he said, you know, should I, should I stay here? Should I go? You know, I, I'm toiling within myself. You know, what am I supposed to do? He said, you know, to die is Christ uh, or to live is Christ and to die is gain. It'd be better for me to just go ahead and check on out of here. But for your sake, you need to be led further. I'm going to hang around for a little while, okay? Paraphrase. He's saying, it's all for your sake. I, I mean, it'd be good for me just to go on and be with the Lord, man. I'm sick of this place, right? That's what Paul's saying. He's like, but I love you, and I know that God's plan is to bring about salvation in your life. So all of these afflictions, all of this suffering that I'm going to endure if I stay here. What Paul saying? Everything that's going to come against me if I stay here is going to be worth it. Why? Because God desires to save for himself a people. Why? So that they would grow in number and more people would glorify him. So we could, I think that we could make the sovereign grace guys happy. I don't know if anything makes them happy, but I'll say this. <clears throat> we, might, we might could soften the blow, right, of the whole glorification of God thing to say this. Let's say this. Let's put this caveat in there. So one of God's main purposes is the redemption of man with that purpose being to glorify God. What if we said, what if we went even a little bit further and said this? 
salvation comes to the elect because God loves the elect, but more than that, because God loves himself and his glory the most. That's a right statement. You might not think so, but it is. Dig into it, parse it out, and I'll tell you why. God's glory is such that it should be highlighted and expressed and magnified in every way, in every extent that you could possibly imagine and beyond. So therefore, the more people that can be saved, the more glory from humanity God gets. So the salvation of many is more glorifying of God. And we pursue after people because we love people. But the greater thrust and compulsion is because we love God. And God is worthy of worship. Does that make sense? Good. Okay, let's get to this last part that I was supposed to be my main part. Verse 16. So then, brothers and sisters, so we do not lose heart. Don't lose heart. Though our outer self <clears throat> is passing away. Though our outer self is wasting away. Our inner self is being renewed day by day. You know, think about this whole message so far is this idea that the outer is temporal it's earthen it's frail it's weak it's soft it's not durable right it's fairly durable you know from an earthly perspective but it's not going to last forever it's made of clay it's made of earth right contrasted with that which is the, the glory of God, the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of the Lord Jesus. We know that's not temporal. It's not finite. It's eternal. It's glorious. It lasts forever and ever and ever. And everything that it comes in contact with seems to extend or be transformed. And here he says, have this in mind. So when we see that word, so, <laughs> verse 16 starts out with so, and he goes on. So when we see that, we say, whatever's, whatever's after so is the intended result of whatever was before so. Okay? You added two plus two, so you had four. Does that make sense? You might think, that's just too simple. But people miss that. Okay, not that you would. You had two apples. You got two more apples. So you have four apples. So what is the so? He says, so we do not lose heart. So what is it that keeps you from losing heart? It's what came before. The coming verses and truths, realities, should be the result if the previous truth reality or tr if the truths and realities are trustworthy and effective. 
So we do not lose heart. We are steady, faithful, steadfast because of what? Because we have the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of the Lord Jesus Christ inside of us. That we, old jars of dirt, get to carry and be the backdrop, the contrasting backdrop of the glory of God. You see, so many, even in the Christian faith, are trying to build men and women up to be these lofty things. Oh God, he is you are, you are so magnificent. When the Bible says your greatest purpose and reality is that you are frail and that you are earthen and temporary. who is magnificent, has chosen to come and to make his home inside of you. You have become the temple of the living God. And Paul says, I have no righteousness of my own. There's nothing good that dwells within me. But the righteousness of Christ. God has chosen you to be the backdrop to the glory of God that you, a mere mortal, a, a, a sinner who was born depraved and with a sin nature, wicked from the womb, and have spit in the face of the Almighty on countless occasions, has been counted worthy through the blood of the Lord Jesus to possess and contain within you the glory of the Most High. So, we do not lose heart. You see it? So we do not lose heart. Though it is a reality, everything he just said, he says, though our outer self is wasting away. He said, yeah, so what? We're earth pots. Yeah, okay. But the inner self is being renewed day by day. See that treasure that you carry around in you is interacting with your spirit. And I'm not making that up to sound good either. Romans chapter 8 tells us that we know that we have come to know him. If we have the Holy Spirit, the one that says he has a son, but he doesn't have the, the spirit doesn't dwell in him. He doesn't know the son. He doesn't have the son. And how do we know if we've been saved? We know because the spirit testifies with our spirits that we have become children of God. The Spirit doesn't give us a spirit of slavery, a spirit of fear that leads to slavery. No, He gives us a spirit of adoption as sons, by which we cry, Abba, Father, the, the internal testimony of the Spirit. And so what I'm saying is, is that, that the, the, the treasure, the knowledge of the glory of God and the face of the Lord Jesus Christ is continually um, uh, interceding and working and and. and, and doing work inside of us to lift us up and to pull us this way and to pull us that way. And it's the Holy Spirit that leads us and causes us to put one foot in front of the other as he leads us to our glorification that is only in Christ. And the steps we take are the suffering on the way to the glorying. 
The word says we must suffer with him if we want to be glorified with him. It is the way. This is the way. <laughs> this is the way. Verse 17, for this, okay, this is the last thing. You guys can't actually come up. That's not bad. Listen to this. This is so good. Now, this, this should help some of you, I think, as we close it out. Verse 17. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Now, I wrote down here in my notes this. For this light and momentary affliction. Light? Momentary? Do you remember how he described the affliction back in verse, verses 8 and 9? Do you remember it? Now, this is the affliction that he's saying that's just light and momentary. I say this and point this part of the scripture out to encourage you. That you're going through something and you think it's just weighty, right? And, and I'm not saying it's not. I don't know what you're going through. I'm not trying to take away from that, I promise. All I'm trying to do is not take away from, but add to. I want to add to that more perspective. And the perspective that I would add comes from the scripture. That Paul here says, we are afflicted in every single way, but not crushed. Are you afflicted in every way? He says, we're perplexed, but not driven to despair. Are you perplexed? Persecuted, but not forsaken. Are you being persecuted right now, really? Persecuted? Paul, they had made attempts on his life several times. He had been dragged out of the city hit smashed in the face with rocks they thought he was good enough to be dead so they left but god kept him from dying so he got up and went to the next city shipwrecked abandoned imprisoned okay this is Paul. struck down but not destroyed been struck down lately i'm not belittling your trials and struggles they're they're hard and they're real i'm trying my best to add perspective that whatever you are going through, Jesus has been there times infinity and Paul has been there far more. Me too. Far more than I have. And Paul looks at his laundry list of afflictions. He says, light and momentary. Light and momentary. Big deal. Romans eight sixteen, Paul again he says, for I consider that the sufferings of this pres present age are not even worthy comparing with the glory that is to be revealed in us. Did you catch it? How can he say that these attacks, like literally he was left for dead. And he's like, eh, I ain't worried about that. He literally says they're not even worth consideration. They're not even worthy to be compared. How can he say these things are light and momentary? Friends, they're the exact same, it's the exact same reason that you, not to say you should dismiss your trial. You're mourning a loss, mourn it. There's a time for weeping and there's a time for laughter. Not saying that. But how can you look at those struggles and trials and that depression and that struggle, that heartache, how can you look at that and say, I see you. I acknowledge you. But I ain't worried about you. He says, 
they're not worthy to be compared. And even in this text right here, that was Romans 8 when he says they're not worthy, worthy to be compared. He says, for this light and momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory. He says not only, so we could stop. That goes back to that twofold that I was telling you earlier. In Romans 8, he highlights the glory that is to be revealed in us out there. So I'm not discrediting or disregarding that at all. But what I'm saying is, let's have a full, robust picture. And this is what Paul says here. In Romans 8, he's highlighting the things that are to come. In 2 Corinthians, he's highlighting the fact that, but even in the midst of it, you can know that those things that are happening to you are purposeful. They have a purpose. God's doing something. So you don't have to just look past it. You can embrace it and know that God is doing something through this thing. Paul goes further in Romans 8 to tell us that not only do we look past, but we hold on through and then we embrace in 2 Corinthians. Notice the contrast. This, this point right here, let's all stand to our feet. I want, you to, I want you to see this as the last thing we see. Now, what have we been talking about? We've been talking about every little thing is going to be all right through an eternal perspective on finite things. This is what this passage of Scripture has done the whole time. It's contrasted the weak, the frail, the bitter, the momentary, the brittle, the momentary, the transient temporal things with the exceedingly eternal glorious things of God he said you're transient but you're carrying the weight of the glory of God inside of you you're earthly he's heavenly you are finite he's infinite and eternal you're transient he never ends how is it that we consider him light and momentary for this light momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look not to the things that are seen but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, fleeting, temporal but the things that are unseen are eternal. The God of heaven the Son of the living God who exists through eternity past and will exist through eternity future never had a beginning and never has an end. The eternal Son of God became a man and dwelt among us. He suffered the same things that we suffer with. He was tempted in every way the same as you are, yet without sin. And he who knew no sin... He actually became sin so that you might actually become the righteousness of God. He was buried in a tomb for three days. And in that tomb and in his death, he dealt the death blow to death, hell, sin, and Satan. He used Satan's own weapon against him, namely death. He resurrected from that grave, vindicating himself as the son of the living God, as the Alpha and the Omega. And when he resurrected, conquering death, sin, hell, and Satan, he ascended into heaven where he sat down 
at the right hand of God, declaring his majesty. But he wasn't finished. He sent the Holy Spirit back to earth because he told the disciples, I've got to go. Because if I don't go, I can't send the Holy Spirit. But I'm going to go and I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. He will be a helper. And the Holy Spirit comes and he applies the work that Christ did to your life. Do you understand that there is no way to escape judgment because you're a wicked sinner? Unless your sin is dealt with, you cannot stand before a holy and righteous God and not receive eternal wrath and damnation for the rest of time. But while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That Christ Jesus is the payment for sin. He is the propitiation. He paid your sin debt in full on the cross, in your place, in your specific, your, your place, your sins. He paid for those sins. And you can have His righteousness through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit that would clothe you in righteousness, that when God looked at you, He wouldn't see the wicked sinner that you are because those sins would be washed in the blood of the Lamb, paid for on Calvary. And now when God would look at you, when you have faith and the Holy Spirit dwells inside of you, would be the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that would be atonement. Today... If you struggle with despair, if you struggle with heartache, if you struggle with persecution, if you struggle with whatever it is, and you've been born again, your sins washed away, and you stand holy and righteous before God, not because of what you've done, but because of what Christ has done in your place and in your stead, by His wounds we are healed. And you can... You can bank and you can be sure and you can have hope because the Holy Spirit dwells inside of you. You have inside of you the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of the Lord Jesus Christ. So you can have hope. And even when hard times come, you can embrace them knowing that God is good, right, and faithful to do a work in you through those things to bring about His glory. If you don't know Christ today, friend, there is no hope for you. I could sugarcoat that and I could do a lot of things, but I don't want to do that because I love you. If you do not know the Lord Jesus Christ today, if you've not been born again by the power of the Holy Spirit, if you've not received the righteousness of Christ as imparted by the power of the Holy Spirit, if your sins have not been paid for, you are still in your sins, you are still indebted to God, and you will pay for your own sins through eternal damnation and wrath under the wrath of God forever and ever and ever and ever because sin cannot have any part of God. But the good news is there's been a payment for you today, friend. The question is, will you bow to the King of kings and the Lord of lords and receive the Holy Spirit who applies the blood of the Lamb? Anybody that's not been saved in the room, shoot your hand up with every eye open and every head raised. For we are not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God and the salvation. Anybody here today that's never been truly saved, never been born again, and you need to be washed in the blood of the Lamb? I'll give you a moment, and then we're going to do business with God. Anybody? I pray that's the case, that everybody here is saved. Now to the believers. 
have an eternal perspective. And don't let these light and momentary afflictions sway you from pursuing after the King of Kings and living and dying well to the glory of God. Do business with God today, guys. Love y'all.